just never had it in mind. So, now, you said something that may answer this, but I had seen a reference to you being in California, visiting Weston in 46? 47. It would have to be the next year. Yeah. You yeah, mentioned Barbara and I get married. In 47? In 47, right. And go out to visit And her her. mother comes to Chicago for the wedding. We get married at the, in a very informal wedding. Go to the ambassador and... Uh, Was that like in the summer of 47? Spring, no. Springtime? It must have been earlier. I can't remember exactly. Well, it's not real critical. Uh, actually, we had prematurely been <laughs> seeing each other. Uh, no, that was, we went out there in the summer of 47, after we'd been married. And uh, then... You know, Harry was in place by that time. Who goes there? And I tried to build up, get the thing going. It's a constant battle. Mahoney's dead. Yeah, this is this is one of my questions. Mahoney dies on November twenty fourth, which is probably right around Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I go to his funeral. I'm very, very shook up. I mean, I got a great love for Mahoney, as well as no idolatry. That is, I always thought Mahoney has, we had a lot of fakery about him, a lot of con man about Mahoney. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, he was cremated and I'm standing next to this furnace where he's being burned up. A symbol and the kids. It's very upsetting. What's for me? Even though you knew it was coming for a long time. Oh, yes. Yeah. But we all, you know, then sort of went back to work. Was there a real, I mean, was it, was there a real problem in terms of the school survival created by his death? Or was it this point? There was always a problem in the school survival. It was but a I mean, very marginal operation. Maholi was able to raise money, you know, by various okay. means of selling his soul, his design soul, and, uh, you know, actually he put a lot of his money into the school. I don't think he ever really got out anything much. Mm-hmm. But, but, I mean, he was a kind of a force. He had contracts with uh, Spiegel's and Parker 51, and I think maybe even United Airlines, the uh, Board of Trustees knew the situation. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, even though the school was always marginal, I mean, with him gone, he was obviously one of the major forces. More marginal, excepting for the thing that there were these millions of men pouring out of the armed forces with GI benefits coming, and they wanted to go to school. They wanted to go to school, so most of them very quickly didn't. It really didn't matter what school they went; they didn't know, and particularly in photography, there wasn't too much of something that seemed academic or reasonable. There were, oh, maybe Bogue Wright had a, possibly a program then in photography. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I don't think the Art Institute did. Um, was Brooks in operation at that time, do you know? We don't think so. The Art Center School was. Was Brooks might have been. See, a lot of these proprietary schools came in because of the yeah. veterans' of benefits. And this would have been just a little before Clarence White went out to Ohio University. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay, well, um, you want to call it a day here, or? Well, let's go to the end. How much have we got here? Well, you got about, uh, only about two-thirds gone. All right, let's finish it up. Um, Harry would teach, and you asked, you know, about Harry as a, who's inarticulate. I kept uh, encouraging him, and that's why, you know, and trying to formalize that. I'd actually meet with, with Harry and uh, Franz, and we'd put together on paper, even though I thought it down or I'd put it down on paper, the program for each teacher. Because I was trying to make a program not teach, you know, a class, mm -hmm. trying to make it, so we covered a lot of areas, and also things got increasingly more difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, Harry was very nervous. Uh, the first year, well, we used to go to Gus's, and he would have a drink before he went to class. I mean, he really had to calm his nerves, and that kept up all the time. Harry drank a great deal and always has until, I don't know if he still does, but uh, different times it got pretty serious. And uh, without Eleanor, who was just a diamond of a woman, person, uh, I don't think Harry would have made it. There was some point they, Eleanor actually was considering divorcing Harry. Uh, I think Barbara, must have been born somewhere around 1948, Harry's kid, 47-48. Mm. Uh, and those pictures of Eleanor's belly, you know, were made in the apartment up here in Lakeview. And uh, but Harry never went out and gave talks or anything. And I protected Harry from everything except him with teaching. He never did anything else. And that and his work. Mm -hmm. And that's been a sort of what he did with when Aaron came, when he brought Aaron. Aaron took over all those administrative things that have to be done somehow, ordering this, that, and everything. And then Aaron started doing even though Harry was the head of it. Harry doesn't function that way. Um, uh, he became very friendly with Hugo Weber. Hugo Weber? Yeah. And Hugo was an extremely bright, frustrated Swiss guy. And uh, finally, along this time, he married one of the students, a very pretty girl, and they had a baby. And, uh, I guess that maybe that was a little, just a little bit later. Okay, now there's a, you, you teach, just to give a little view here, you, you're, you're at what is now the Institute of Design um, from 46, February 46 or so. And 
until around 50, 1950. Well, I think it was the end of 49, and then I taught some motion picture courses. I continued on. So the, but I helped recruit, actually went to New York to recruit Serge Chamath. See, they were looking, we were looking yes. for a new head. And I went there, and he had been recommended by Gropius. He was a Pratt, wasn't he? Was he was a Pratt, right. And I went there, and I visited him, we got along very well. And, uh, you know, I asked him uh, a lot of questions, came back, gave a fact a very favorable report. And uh, thought he was a wonderful guy. He has a great, his great gift is uh, verbal facility, it's very unique. Uh, he's tall, he's, you know, looks kind of interesting. Uh, in point of fact, he then came and uh, very good. For the first part, he seemed to be all right, but we began to notice cracks in his structure when after, I think it was three lectures or something on the origins of modern art, which Moholy had talked for a year, he finished, he got rid of that course because he had said everything he knew or could say. Uh, we became fairly good friends. I used to go to his house. And uh, oh, he's a very arrogant guy, uh, very socially you know, upward mobile, even though he had all the manners of upper Russian, Georgian, I guess. And he was married to a wonderful woman by the name of Barbara, who he badly mistreated. There's a lot of Barbaras in this story. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is Barbara Chumayev. The story was, the rumor was that he couldn't marry her, her, his, her Barbara's mother, so he married Barbara. <laughs> Anyway, I used to go there, and one of the, towards the end, one of the things that we really broke on was he gave a party, and uh, he prided himself on being a wonderful ping pong player, and I just publicly beat him. And so he sicked Ivan on me, and I beat Ivan. Ivan? Chemayev. He's a modern art trustee and designer. That's one of the sons. The other's Peter. A little quieter, a little nicer, I think. Softer. I have no objections to Ivan. Uh, you beat him at ping pong. Yeah, and that really offended him. And he was very arrogant with a lot of people. Until finally, after I left, you know, he brought in Conrad Boxman, who had been a partner of Gropius in the General Panel Corporation, and I think was a partner of Shemayev in some architectural ventures in New York, and. Conrad was the, the ultimate reason of uh, Serge being fired by IIT after I left. Yeah, now, um, when you, he, let's see, it was in 49 that, that ID joined IIT. That's right, and I objected. I thought it was nice that uh, Heald, I was a great admirer of Dr. Heald, Henry Heald. How, how is that spelled? H-E-A-L-D, who left very shortly after they joined and went to New York to become head of, I don't know, NYU or something like that, and then became head of the Ford Foundation, something. Very important job. Marvelous man. Uh, but the man that succeeded him was a real jerk, Taliata. And uh, so I, I assembled 
well, we're just skipping. Uh, the year 47, the summer, I, we went to California. Barbara and I became quite ill on the trip there. I was quite ill in Palo Alto. Uh, I see either allergy or something to this day, I don't know. Now, 47? Uh-huh. Okay. And then on the way back, we went down to, we drove down uh, highway number one and uh, uh, stopped and stayed a couple of days with Edward, where that's where I got my prints of Edward and that's where I took the pictures, you know, him feeding the cats and his desk. And uh, then we proceeded farther down to stay with some friends, I think the names were Wolf, yeah, and I was quite ill. And then we went to Los Angeles and saw some friends. And finally, about October, I remember it was quite cold and windy, and we drove back to Chicago. You ran quite a while. Yeah. You didn't. You weren't. You didn't start teaching in September that year. I don't think so. It must have been. It could have been, you know, an early fall. But as I recall it, it was, you know, quite windy, quite cold mm -hmm. around Arizona. Well, it can get pretty cold if you're in the right altitude, of course. Yeah, and we visited Grand Canyon and uh, took pictures. And, you know, Santa Fe. Uh, something was wrong with me, something. Um, so I came back and uh, started teaching. The teaching was quite rough. All these older people, uh, and I was trying to by that time get the four-year photography started, so that was being worked in. And uh, began I think about that time to have conflicts with uh, think. Maybe the end of the year, some conflicts with Chermayev. Okay, well, we have... Four... Uh, he liked Harry very much. Harry did not give me much backing. Mm -hmm. He was not, in my view, very loyal. Now, let me get this straight. The 46-47 school year is the year Maholi dies and you... and Harry starts teaching. Yeah. And that summer you get married, you go to California. You come back in the fall of 47. Then you have the 47-48 school year. 48-49. Now, do you teach it all in the 1949-50 school year? Just, I think that was, uh, I taught some motion pictures. So you left at the end of the 48-49? Right, in the 48-49, the last semester, I assembled 100 print shows to show what I had accomplished. Prints so of student work? Of students all work, right. And I show infrared pictures, ultraviolet pictures, my systematization of what I thought the program was. And make quite large prints. We mount them up on the hard board, and that gets distributed all over. It was in New York, I think at the Photo League. It may have been someplace else. I can't remember. Hmm. Now, when does Chermayev actually come? At the beginning of the 48-49, the last full year you're there? No, before that. I think Chermayev probably came in the 47. somewhere in 47. That would be okay. checkable. Yeah, that's... Uh, so you really teach three full years? Yeah. Three complete full years? In my mind, I taught, stayed there 
and that's what that 100 print show was. I promised Maloli I would form a curriculum for four years. When I left, I thought I had done that. Okay, now here's a, here's a question about that curriculum, in a sense. Yeah. Because the one thing that seems to have characterized the, you know, the Bauhaus idea, right. in part, in Germany and to some extent, perhaps with Maholi in this country, was the integrative nature of it, the fact that the product was the designer and not a specialist. And yet what you're doing is, is just that. It's a, it's a fairly, albeit a broad idea, but a, but a program to produce photographers. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that that's really where Maholi would have gone anyway? And, and what was your feeling about it, personally? I mean, well, my feeling was I wanted to train photographers. That I wanted to train photographers that weren't stupid or ignorant. So they had all these other courses, particularly as the four-year program had more time. I mean, I was quite insistent. I mean, there wasn't any question. They, were, they all took the foundation course, everybody. Uh, my idea was that, for, see, the thing I was avoiding consciously, we've never talked about this, nobody's ever asked me the question, really. The thing I was avoiding was one, the Germanic method of, you know, high technological skill, which was also in America, which was not unlike, you know, New York Institute or everything that was talked about, teach high technical skill. Ansel Adams talked that way. I was trying to keep the high technical skill, but I was trying to avoid our teachers teaching one kind of style like a Karsh, or whoever, or whatever it was. I wanted, my ideal really, was that there would be five or eight great teachers who were great photographers, each differing. And I remember distinctly saying something to the effect, and I wish we had these wires, maybe it's even on that. The idea of a good photographic education was to confuse the student for, at first. And any student that really knew what the answers were at the first year, the education was all wrong. Which is very different from what else was going on. Because everybody was trying to teach by formula, by demonstration, by rote. The, the answers. The answers. And I was trying to teach them to what the process was. I emphasized the history. That's where I began wearing out my books. I would bring my books to class turn them page by page to show Renger Potts or when we talked about light. To this day, most people don't know who this genius was. Um, I was very concerned about history, that you didn't have to invent every solution, that there are people, other people made other solutions which you might gain from. I tried to make it cooperative. That is, provide an atmosphere that people could criticize, analyze. I even tried to drop that word criticized. My word was analyzed, still is. Just like I tried to do, I never use the word composition excepting as joke. Composition of picture. That's all H.P. Robinson. The single term is organization of the picture. It's different. You organize either by seeing or manipulating in some way. Why? You don't compose it. What's your objection specifically? I mean, I... Because it carries the whole weight of that tradition of the paint tradition of composing things, mm -hmm. of the triangular, the S-curve, 
the Hogarthian book, you know, it was written in the end of the 1700s. I mean, I'm familiar with S-curves and triangles and know about Raphael and, you know, Caravaggio. I'm, I'm, I was already very familiar with art history, even though I didn't have that much formal training in it. I was passionate about it. Would it be reasonable to say that you're, that at least part of the um, energy behind your initial interest in the history came out of just the fact that the type of education you had at Wayne, the people you knew were such that you realized there was something to be learned from it. I mean, sure. that was just... Jane Betsy, Betsy, as I said, was the important person in my education, not Mahoney, as everybody would think. Nobody knows who Jane Betsy Long is. But she was a great educator. Mahoney, you know, was a great person too, but uh, I had long ago gone beyond... Mm -hmm. His thinking of well, let me, let me say I considered myself a peer, not a student of Maholi. That would be a fair statement. And Maholi thought so. I mean, we actually in that year before he died, we collaborated. I have some photographs that we made together. That he got a job with a logotype of some company, mm -hmm. and he was feeling kind of, you know, they needed some help. So I went in the dark room with him, and he cut out, made some cutouts. And we both made photograms together and separately. And I used some of the things they'd cut out to make my own photographs. But there are some, some Siegel Maholi photographs that are originals, not copies, like <laughs> these fakes that they're selling. Not from copy negatives. Right. But of course, I don't think Maholi distinguished in a sense. It was all photography. I mean. That's right. Maholi, the idea of <laughs> the vintage prints of Maholi, Maholi said anything. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think he was particularly, well, I'm not sure. You know, there was a, there was a great deal of charlatan in Maholi. Anybody who could get this all going, keep it going, it had to be. Right, that's right. He had a hell of a time keeping it going. A lot of people hated Molly's guts. Let me just ask you this um, for now, maybe. The, and this is, I don't know where this comes in, but I've, there's a photographer who I've seen references to by you in print on two or three different places, two or three different places who I've never heard of, who I'm interested in, and also when you... Now if you want to study with me. No, wait a minute, just, just one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm interested in when you came across this name. The name is Lursky. Yeah, Elmer Brown Lursky. Was he someone you knew, or what, no, where, no. where did you see his work? And where I got a book. It's a very famous book now. You can't get it. But uh, it's called Kopf das Antags, Heads of Common People. And I think he's one of the authentic lighting genius. He makes, I mean, he was one of the really marvelous explorers of light. What he did was hire some just common people, washerwomen, cleaning women probably, and guys on the street. And he took and put them between two windows, daylight, using the 11-14 camera and a host of mirrors on each side where he broke up like in a cubist painting each area according to the way he wanted it. I have to go look. I'll show it to you if you remind me. I think I can lay my hands on the book. Marvelous, magnificent. Again, somebody, I guarantee you, will be back in the, who will be in the history of photography. It's all will be in the next auction. Right. Somebody in Germany is. Oh, yeah. For so he, he went, uh, uh, 
I guess somewhere along the line he went to Israel, and I believe he did a book somewhere in Austria or something. Never have been able to find out anything about the guy. But I'm sure it's quite available. He was well known. Now, in America, you see, all of Ansel's things were natural light. That was in the 30s and even in the 40s. There's kind of the only illustrators used, you know, lights, artificially synthetic. Well, now, Boholi loved synthetic light and artificial light, and so did I. And one of the things in the program was to make, you know, different kinds of ways of learning to see the different qualities of light all along from the beginning. I mean, it was inherent in the program. Light learns, you know, pictures. Watch out there. Um, There's got to be a better system for this. There's got to be. Right, let me just put it over here. So, so um, one of the things I changed, I don't know if we talked about it, maybe we did remind me. Uh, one of the things that changed was it took so damn long for people to make a light modulator in the shop mm -hmm. that I wanted to get some thing that was absolutely meaningless, you know, in terms of any significance in itself. And so I invented this, I, I say invented because all these problems were thought of, you see. Somewhere along the line somebody invented them. Mm -hmm. well, the, what was called the Siegel modulator for a long, long time. That was simply to take a piece of brown wrapping paper and a one-sided razor blade and putting it on the floor or something, because you wreck the blade usually. Best was on a piece of large piece of plywood, which you know, so everybody did, and just expressionistically, unconsciously, make a configura configuration of cuts. And then by pushing some that way and some the other way, so that you had paper on both sides and lighting it with one or two lights, you just had. Well, what I had done, not knowing it, was rediscovered the. Bruchere. Mm. Only Bruchere very consciously painted. He did all kinds of things. Yeah, he specific. did paper sculpture, you see, again. Yeah. And we had earlier, and at another time, we did it again. We had photographed the paper cuts just as light modulators. Or we photographed pieces of sculpture as light modulators. How do you transform this thing? Mm -hmm. What ways? I noticed there was a virtual volume. Problem. Right, we were very interested in time. Moholy was always interested in that. I kept pushing. I tried to make it logical how you split time or slow time, which he had already indicated. His ways of seeing was very important to me and factual. You know, I mean, I, I'm not giving you an idea that I invented uh, a great deal, but I, I did put together a great deal. Mm -hmm. You know, I made it logical. That's my strength. That's what Callahan, you see, doesn't. Do, but given this kind of a program, anybody can teach a pretty good photography course. It's not dependent on the personality of the photographer. You see, mm -hmm. that's what I was trying to get away from. Well, then the next question really is how how was student work evaluated? I mean, that's a real thorny issue. It's so. not a thorny issue. You just look at it. <laughs> you have the confidence in your own history. And when you have people like, you know, Callan and Berko and uh, Siegel looking at Maholi, 
Morley uh, never participated very much that time. But uh, you have to have confidence or fire him, see. Mm -hmm. if, you don't, if you don't trust a Callahan's judgment, then you should fire him. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, how, I mean, let, put it another way, in what other way does anybody judge photographs? Well, right, I guess what I was asking is, were there some kind of articulated um, standards for evaluating these problems? Beyond? No. I mean, there was okay. a great uh, belief in our own different than the rest of the world judgments. Yeah. I mean, we really thought we were doing something that was pretty good. I did. The other thing is, you referred to the students coming out of the, the you know, a lot of post-war students. Did they respond? I mean, how did they respond to the real, to the sort of theoretical nature of this? I mean, these problems are based. They wanted to get a job. Yeah, that's what I was. That's thinking. why you'll notice that in the catalog you just showed me. This yellow one here. Yeah, if you look at one of the courses there, advanced type courses, mm -hmm. it has to do with pragmatic problems. This was the one where you were looking at the outline. It had fashion, documentary, yeah. cover uh -huh. illustration, right. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that the theoretical, for instance, I gave a whole course, or a lot of problems, where I would give a problem like, do a perfume ad, mm -hmm. using one of the ideas that you had learned in the previous semester. And that could be, you know, melting a negative, or printing it in negative, in negative, or multiple exposure, you know, or a close-up of some glistening light on the end of the bottle. Mm -hmm. You know, something suggests the fragrance make a symbol of that. Or, you know, in terms of documentary, all documentary doesn't have to be shot at eye level. You know, which is the lesson today of all these hotshot photographers doing annual reports at five, eight hundred thousand dollar a day. They make close-ups. Sometimes they're out of focus, you know, in color. They look at it from a different point of view. You know, they take and they dramatize some aspect of what they're photographing. And it's still documentary to my. So that in the end, what happened was those people who really did their work had a whole vocabulary for which they could make a personal use to either make a living, and the question of being a photographer as such, a free living photographer, never came up. Didn't exist. Then. It didn't exist. That's a contemporary issue. Right. Okay. Claude, quit on that. I'm sorry, I missed the last part of that statement. <laughs>